right, well, let's get started with episode 20 of A Secret to Everybody. I can't believe it's episode 20 already. I'm proud that we're here, and I hope we'll be going for many more. If you've been listening since the beginning, I thank you very much for that. If you just started listening recently, that's awesome, too. I hope that you will find good content in my show and that you will enjoy it for months to come, because I plan on continuing to do it because I like providing quality content to everyone who chooses to listen to me. So thank you very much for that. And again, thanks for thanks to Start Select for letting me be on their network. I, I do appreciate them. I want to make sure I express that at least once in a while. So let's get right to it, because we have a lot to get to this week. We're going to keep going with the feature tech app. Uh, this this week it's called Duolingo. It's, an, it's a game as well as a technology website. Uh, it's a service uh, website. I found out about it in the How To Geek newsletter, which is a site that I frequent. It's a game, but it's also an app, and its purpose is to help you learn a language. Now, I know that these things, these language learning software, seems like a dime a dozen, and there's free ones and all that kind of thing, but I actually really do like this one. For one thing, it's completely free, so there's no ads in it, you don't have to deal with any uh, hidden costs, and there's no subscriptions you have to buy. It's not like you start going and then it tells you, hey, you have to you know, fork up some cash to keep going. The way you learn in Duolingo is actually very gamified, so that's those of us that play video games, which I assume you do if you're listening to my show, will enjoy the way you do this. So, in Duolingo, it divides it up into categories. Like, you'll start with the basics, and you'll move on to... It, it, it breaks it up from, like, you know, things about time, like days of the week and calendar months, or maybe foods, pronouns, things like that. So you have to go through levels, which take a few minutes each, and you have hearts, just like in a video game. So when you get an answer wrong, you lose a heart. If you lose all your hearts, you have to start over. So there's incentive to not, you know, goof off or whatever. You also learn skill points for doing well. So if you finish a lesson, you get 10, point, 10 coins, skill points. And if you have extra hearts left over, you get extra skill points, and you level up. And you can show, share with your friends when you level up. It's pretty cool. If you're actually already advanced in a language, you can take a placement test right at the beginning if you feel you, you can skip out of some of the easy stuff. Or if you're, if you're like, maybe you took Spanish in high school or something, and you remember a little bit here and there, like maybe you remember the foods very well and you don't want to bother with taking the lesson for that, you can skip through that by taking a brief test. So it's really custom fit to you, which is pretty cool. There's also social features enabled in the app. There's also mobile apps on iOS and Android that are very well done. I mean, you can learn anywhere. The game does uh, egg you on to have a streak going. It keeps track of the streak that you've had and encourages you to practice and sets little goals for you and things like that. And the reason that the service is able to be free is because the company that provides Duolingo wants to unlock the information that's online, the text that's in so many different languages that is locked behind the language barrier. You know, we all speak English, but we can't speak German, and there's a lot of text out there in German that would be cool for us to read, but we can't read it because it's in another language. So Duolingo wants to fix that. So by learning a language with them, you're not only learning a language, but you're translating text for them, which is why it's completely free. So, so far, uh, Spanish, French, German, Italian, and Portuguese are all supported, and you can also learn English based on any of those languages. If, if you're a native speaker of any of those, you can learn English, which, if you're listening to the show, I highly doubt you'll need that, but it's there. So you can try it out at Duolingo.com, or on the mobile apps on iOS and Android. You can make an account there. You can make an account with your email, or you can sign in with Facebook. Either one is the exact same. You can start learning from there. So definitely try that out. This isn't a gimmick or anything. It's completely free. If you don't like it, don't worry about it, but... I thought it might be cool, because I thought it might be kind of fun to learn Spanish, try to do it again, you know, recover some stuff from high school. So, give it a try if you're interested in that kind of thing. Uh, I do want to promo, we're going to have a guest next week, uh, my friend Corey. 
has said that he wants to be on the show, so next week we're going to be having him. Not totally sure what we're going to talk about yet. I'll give you a little teaser, but I'm not sure what we're going to talk about yet. So look for that next week. I'll probably do it in a Skype session recorded, similar to when we had Josh. So, yeah, look forward to that next week. A uh, game I've been playing recently, I've been playing a game called Gunpoint. If you remember, I talked about it when the game came out. Adam from the network tweeted about it, and I looked at it, and I, I wanted it right away, but I had already been buying a few games then, so I held off on it because I didn't want to spend the money. But I did get Gunpoint during the Steam sale, and I've been playing it. It's a really fun game. It is a puzzle platformer, sort of like Portal, and, and it's not like Portal that you use portals, but it's a, you know, the puzzle platformer genre. You move around, and it's called Gunpoint, but it's not about action or fighting. It's about stealth. Uh, you play a freelance spy, and it's a 2D game, and your, your objectives are typically to break into buildings and steal sensitive data. The cool thing is you have a, a gadget called the crosslink, which lets you see everything that's wired in the room and rewire, in that building and rewire it. So, for example, if you see that a light switch is, is hooked up to a light, normally when you flick the light switch, the light turns on or off, obviously. But with the crosslink, say there's a door nearby that normally only opens with a guard's handprint scanner, but you want to get into that door. So all you have to do is wire the light switch to the door, flick the light switch, and then boom, it opens up. Things like that. Now, of course, there's more gadgets. It gets more complicated, but I've enjoyed it so far. There's really good writing in the story. Um, there's some dialogue choices that, and different ways to go about things. There's different achievements for, you know, covering your tracks for certain things. So it's a really fun game. It goes for $10. I definitely recommend that. I'll link that in the notes so you guys can pick that up. I would definitely recommend it so far. But it's it's my style. I've been, I wanted to say, I've been playing a lot of puzzle platformers lately. Uh, Stealth Inc., a clone in the Dark, which is the new name of... The former name was Stealth Bastard Deluxe, but Stealth Inc. is more appropriate, so I'll call it that if I refer to it anymore. But that's also a puzzle platformer. It's a stealth game, but it's not stealth like Metal Gear Solid, where it's slow moving. It's You, you move around a lot, but you have to be careful and hide in shadows and things like that. <clears throat> so if you like puzzle platformers, I definitely recommend both of those games. A little bit of news here. This isn't really news, but the Black Ops 2 map... Uh, vet the map pack Vengeance, which is the third pack after Revolution and Uprising, launched today for the uh, PS PS3 and the PC. I do have to admit, I know this is old and everyone feels this way, but I'm kind of sick of Activision doing what they do, where the Xbox gets the pack about a month early. Everyone but the Xbox gets the shaft, but whatever. I mean, we can't really deal with it. If, if you think anything about this, you can weigh in in the comments, or for, feel free to tweet me or tweet at the site if you have anything you want to say about this topic. I, th I think it's interesting. I looked. I did a little bit of research, and Activision, who's the company that publishes Call of Duty, no matter who makes it, like we know Infinity Ward makes the Modern Warfare games, and Treyarch makes the Black Ops games, no matter who makes it, that's the developer, Activision publishes it, and it's their deal with Microsoft that that makes the DLC exclusivity, you know, the, the month early, that makes that happen. So it's it's it doesn't matter who makes the game, it's always Activision that's tricking the deal with Microsoft. And also, one of the maps in the map pack... Is, is a rehash of the map Summit from the first Black Ops. So if you're going to discuss, think about this too. Do you, what do you think about paying for a map that you already have? Because when you bought Black Ops, Summit came with that game. And then in this map pack, one of the maps is a direct re... It's just it's the same exact map, it's just reimagined. Now it's cool and I like it, but I don't know. What do you think? Interestingly, I did look up about that deal with Activision. They struck that deal originally in 2010, which I believe... I'm trying to place the games... 2008 was when World at War came out, which means 2009 was Modern Warfare 2, 2010 was Black Ops 1. But I believe that deal was going... That deal started with Modern Warfare 2, I'm pretty sure. Because I think on World at War, everyone got it at the same time. Anyway, that deal was going to go through 2012, which would have been... That was when Black Ops 2 came out. 
Now, it's 2013, and I wasn't able to find any information about if the deal is still currently going on, but I guess that because Black Ops 2 was released in 2012, the DLC rule still applies, even though the DLC is coming out now. That would be my best guess, but I can't confirm that. So if anyone knows anything more about that, you can feel free to let me know, but I'm not 100% sure, but that would be my guess. Moving on to a little bit more small news before we get to our topic, uh, I got a few more minor details on the PlayStation 4 for you guys. They had a minor, I don't know if you want to call it a press conference or a little bit of a release, talking about some of the small details of the PS4. Still no release date or anything like that, but just a few small things. The hard drive's going to be replaceable, which it was on the PlayStation 3, so that's nothing too groundbreaking. And the username that you use on the PS3 will actually carry over. I'm actually kind of sad to hear this because I made my name on the PlayStation Beanman94. I named it that before I used the name Stegner Source for everything like I do now. I'd really like to change my ID on PlayStation Network, but it's not a huge deal. I mean, it's only the one, it's the one place I have something different. It's not bad. It's just I'd like to change it to make it uniform with everything else, but whatever. I had another thing. Oh, I had, I'm sorry, I skipped some things here. Uh, the friend cap on the PS3, you can only have 100 friends, but on the PS4, you're able to have 2,000 friends. Uh, if you have that many friends, that's there's something wrong, because I don't know how you can even know that many people, unless you friend a lot of people you meet online or whatever. And also, party chat, which is similar to what the Xbox 360 has with the you know, the party chat where you, if I'm playing a, a certain game and you're playing a, a completely different game, we can both talk. The PlayStation 4 is going to have that now, even if you don't have PS Plus. Because we're, we know, or we're pretty much sure, that you have to have PS Plus to play online, but services like Netflix, Hulu, and this party chat will not require PS Plus. So that's pretty cool. So if I don't have PlayStation Plus, which I will, if I have PlayStation Plus and I'm playing a game, and you don't have it and you're playing a single-player game, we can still talk. So that's pretty sweet. So, enough of the small stuff here, let's move on to the main topic. This week we're going to go out completely on opinion, which I guess last week kind of was too, but we're going to make this a little two-part mini-series. Today we're going to look at the my, my top five best men and women heroes in games. Oh, and by men and women, I male and female, I guess, because some of them are animals, but next week we'll look at the antagonists. So these are all the good guys, next week we're going to do the exact same thing but the bad guys. So these are all my thoughts, a little bit of humor thrown in, this isn't an end-all list, it's just top five, I decided to do a top ten list this week. So without further ado, let's do the guys first. Uh, number five is Ratchet from the Ratchet and Clank series, and the first appearance from him was on the, the game Ratchet and Clank. That was on the PlayStation 2, and that came out in November of 2002. So for me, the sheer amount of weaponry that Ratchet uses, for me, puts him on this list. See, he uses everything from acid-spewing grenade launchers to stealthy little spider robot drones, and they upgrade, too. So if a weapon stinks at first, even when he uses it, it becomes bigger and beefier. So even if you don't like a weapon, you use it for a little bit, it's bound to get some more features that you like. Ratchet's games rock. They're fun to play, it's fun to blow stuff up, Insomniac does a great job. There's amazing Easter eggs, like we talked about at the museum. He actually talks which is more than you can say for some heroes and some of the other heroes on this list. And he's funny. I find the Ratchet & Clank games to be a complete package. Fun gameplay, not overly repetitive, a lot to do, fun characters, they're great games. And, as I talked about way back when, Ratchet is going to be in a movie. They're making a Ratchet & Clank movie, which I believe is set to release in 2015. And... I'm just speculating, but I think this movie will either cement itself as one of my favorite movies ever, or be a complete flop. I really hope it's the first one, but it's like I talked about when I talked about it originally. Games based off movies usually stink, just like the licensed games, but Ratchet and Clank's really good, and I don't think Insomniac would let their character be put to crap. So, we'll have to see. 
I forgot to mention, too, for each one of these characters, I'll be giving a fun fact e about either them, or if, if there's not really one for that character about the game they're in. So the fun fact for Ratchet & Clank is, in Ratchet & Clank Going Commando, which is the second game in the series, there was a badly programmed enemy. It's on the planet Greblin, if you remember the... Grelbin, excuse me, if you remember that game. It's called the Snow Beast. Officially in the game, it's called the Yeti, Y-E-T-I. But what, what the problem was, is in development, the enemy was made in just three days, which is a pretty small period of time. And it has too short of a pre-attack animation, which means, you know, say the attack is like, it claps its hands together to hit you. So instead of it being like, instead of the enemy winding up and then clapping its hands gradually, it just like reaches out and attacks you, which makes it frustrating to fight. So if there's a ton of them, it's just like, boom, boom, you're getting hit because they just they strike so quickly is the point. There's no time to react. And what's funny is Insomniac took this beast and they used that to influence their the Snow Beast Awards, what they call it. It's an, it's an award that Insomniac Games, it's, a, it's a, like an inside joke, internal award that they have with themselves. They give it to a person every year that created the quote, the worst thing that actually shipped in the game. So every time Insomniac releases a game, someone gets the Snow Beast Award for the worst thing that was actually in the game. And it was named, you know, because of this beast. So that's kind of funny. A poorly programmed thing becomes a joke among them all. Okay, number four, our, our top four male hero is Donkey Kong. And his first appearance was in the Don was Donkey Kong the arcade game, and that came out in 1981. See, Donkey Kong... He has an interesting story. He started out as a villain, but then he turned his life around. He was a villain in the original Donkey Kong arcade game, and then by the time we got games like Donkey Kong Country, he was fighting against the Kremlins to save his the Kremlings to save his bananas. He's in amazing platform games. I mean, talk to any platforming fan for five minutes, and I'm sure that Donkey Kong Country, the second one, and probably the third one will all come up in conversation. This is a pretty unique games too, actually. I don't know if you, anyone has ever heard about some of these games, like Donkey Kong King of Swing. My sister had this on the Game Boy Advance. It's kind of a unique game. If you remember, the Game Boy Advance had the L and R buttons on the side, and in this game, King of Swing is what it was called, you use the L and R buttons to, like, the L button activated Donkey Kong's left hand, and the right R button activated his right hand. And the mechanic of the game was you were swinging. You were climbing up, like, pegged things in the sky, so you could, like, gain momentum, let go. It was almost like kind of like Clue Clue Land, if you've played that, the old NES game, where the only way you can move is by holding out your hand and grabbing... Uh, like a pole to spin around. So that's kind of funny. He was also in a game called Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. If you remember the game Donkey Konga, that was on the GameCube, there were two of them. That was a game sort of like Dance Dance Revolution, which was a game where you used the uh, bongos that came with it to play music, kind of like Dance Dance Revolution. But in Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, which also came with bongos, in that game, it was a platforming game, and you used the bongos to control Donkey Kong. Like, if you tap the left bongo, he would walk to the left. If you tap the, the right bongo, he went to the right. If you tap both at the same time, he jumped. That That's basically the controls. So, really unique. I mean, I, I liked that game. I mean, you, you can play with a controller, but I'm sure it wouldn't be nearly the same. It was a lot of fun. He's also a great character in Super Smash Bros. Donkey Kong's probably one of my favorites. I really can't say that I've ever played a terrible Donkey Kong game. To, if it, I don't think any come to mind. Certainly not the Donkey Kong game I talked about on Game Boy a few weeks ago. So here's a fun fact about Donkey Kong. This is actually a few uh, facts and myths about his name. So the maker of Donkey Kong primarily wanted to target the North American market when they made it. So they wanted to make sure it was an English title. It wasn't some Japanese name. So Shigeru Miyamoto, of course, we know the big Nintendo guy, he decided to give the name for the, the ape because he felt that, that Donkey Kong was the strongest character. So that's what he decided to name the game after. And see, but this is where it starts to vary. We know Miyamoto came up with the name, but it goes all over the place when we see it. 
something that's definitely not true says that Miyamoto was originally meant to be called Monkey... Sorry, Miyamoto wanted the game to be called Monkey Kong. But then when he was translating it over like a fax or a telephone call or something, someone missed, messed it up. That's not true. Another story that may be true, it's not 100% certain, but it has more credibility than the first one. It says Miyamoto was looking at a Japanese to English dictionary for a name, and he wanted something that would mean stubborn gorilla or something to that effect. Or another small theory is that donkey... The word donkey was meant to convey something like silly or stubborn, stupid, things like that. And also Kong is, is common Japanese slang for the word gorilla. So that's one that's that's one theory that he was looking through words and picked two words together. And then a third claim that is also probably could be true claims that he worked with Nintendo's export manager to come up with the title, and they picked the name Donkey to represent stupid and goofy. So, it's all over the place, but we know, what we know for sure is Miyamoto said that he thought the name would convey the sense Stupid Ape. I've always thought that Donkey was just supposed to represent stubbornness, and maybe they figured pe people wouldn't get the Kong reference. I don't know, but, you know, there's a lot of speculation. And, of course, they named, like, Diddy Kong and Cranky Kong after that, but that's just for the sake of continuity in the series. Our third hero is Banjo. From the, His first appearance was Banjo-Kazooie, which was on the N64, and that was in 1998. See, Banjo, he's a stand-up guy. All he wants to do is hang out and relax in his house, drink some tea, grill some hamburgers, but in his game, things get bad really fast. I mean, it's not his fault that he chooses to live so close to an evil hag. I mean, maybe he's poor and doesn't have enough money to move. I mean, maybe he's stuck at a job. Who knows? We don't know. It's just Banjo-Kazooie just dumps us right in. So at any rate... Banjo takes full responsibility for the kidnapping of his sister, Tootie, in the first game. He does everything he can to get back at her. I could get her tailed up and take his sister back. I mean, think about this for a minute, if you played this game. Who else do you know that could stand up to all of Kazooie's abuse? I mean, think about Kazooie. She yells at him, she pecks him, and calls him names. I mean, a lot of the moves Banjo does, like the ground pound, and he has to transform, and he transforms into a washing machine, a crocodile, that stuff must hurt. And in the second game, Banjo even has the integrity to not run away when he splits up with Kazooie. Because in the second game, there's pads that you split up and control them separately to solve puzzles. And you take advantage of their unique abilities in certain situations. Banjo could run away when Kazooie's not there, but he chooses not to. So, he's a quality bear, and if you don't think he is, then I don't think you know what a quality bear is. Fun fact about Banjo in the Banjo-Kazooie game... Banjo-Kazooie was originally supposed to be released as Nintendo's big holiday game in 1997. Of course, we know it was, never it was released in 98. And actually, they even had a Taco Bell promotion lined up for kids' meal toys. However, when that came time, Rare needed to delay it for a lot of months to continue finishing the game. So what they decided to do was release Diddy Kong Racing that year as the holiday game, and they featured Banjo as a playable character. So actually, Banjo was first featured in Diddy Kong Racing before his own game because of that. Number two is Mario. His first appearance was also in Donkey Kong, which was in the arcade, 1981, and it was also he was named Jumpman, as I've discussed before. I mean, look at this. What can you say about Mario? He's the all-around guy. He does everything. He's the father of the platforming game. He's the icon of the NES and pretty much every Nintendo system after that. The icon of Nintendo. He's a stand-up guy. I mean, he's athletic, despite his chunky stature. He knows how to throw a party. I mean, he's thrown, what, nine of them now? A couple on the handheld systems? And he even forgives Bowser after he kidnaps Pete and Princess Peach for the 500th time. Mario's a stand-up guy. He framed video games as we know them today. Maybe one day we'll actually get a game where Mario plums. Stranger things have happened. Fun fact about Mario. Two, two uh, related facts. 
when Miyamoto designed Mario, he chose overalls, and he did that, he chose overalls that contrasted with his sleeves, and that was just to help the animation of his arms, because what would happen was, his sleeves are the same color as his shirt, and so if he didn't have overalls on, when he moved and jumped, his arms would disappear because the sleeves are the same color. So overalls, you know, they're stylish and they're practical and they fit. Also, another in related fact, Mario was given a mustache in in Donkey Kong because it was easier to see and realize what it was. It was easier to realize, oh, that's a mustache, that must be a person. And it was also easier to animate than a mouth. If, like, jumping, crouching, things like that, getting hit. And uh, a, a mustache was way easier to use than a mouth. So that's why Mario has a mustache. Now, of course, it's not that hard to do now, but back then they had very limited space to say, like, you know, this is this character. So that's interesting. And number one in my book, greatest male hero is Link. His first appearance was in The Legend of Zelda, which was on the NES, and that was in 1986. Okay, let's get, let's get this out of the way. Link is amazing. Okay, he can fit 40 bombs, 50 arrows, 3 stones for casting spells, and a bow and arrow into his pockets, all at the same time. Alright, so all kidding aside, he's a really amazing game hero. He's traveled through time... He uses masks to transform into other people. He sailed across the ocean twice. He commands a train. He goes skydiving. And he attacks chickens. In my mind, no male hero can compare to Link. He is the greatest hero ever. He is the golden standard for game heroes. I That's just... That's it. I, I love Link. So because of that, you're going to get three fun facts for Link. I hope you're loving these fun facts, because I actually these are all really good ones. I, I really enjoyed all these facts here. So first one is, in the original Legend of Zelda on the NES, there are nine dungeons. Interestingly, five of them, if you take the map that's in the corner when you're in the dungeon, they can be arranged to spell out Zelda. So that's pretty sweet. The second fact, Link has always been left-handed from the start. However, Nintendo broke that trend in Twilight Princess, he's right-handed. The reason for that is, Nintendo made Twilight Princess for both the GameCube and the Wii. They were at a point kind of like the PS3 and PS4 coming up to now, where the PS3 is still a system people are going to play, but the new one's coming up. So when they made Twilight Princess, it was on both systems. The GameCube had normal controls, just like Wind Waker did. So what they did was, they made the GameCube version, like Link, with Link left-handed, and then for the Wii version, they just took the game and mirrored the entire thing. So actually, if you've played both games, they're completely different. Like, walking to the left is walking to the right on the other one. So because of this, because the entire game was mirrored, rather than just Link, he's right-handed in the Wii version. And also, more people are right-handed than left-handed, so that might have been part of it too, but that's interesting. And the third fact is, the Indigo Goes, which is the Zora's band from Majora's Mask, actually hold quite a few references to past Zelda games, if you visit them in Majora's Mask. If you visit their rooms, you'll hear a piece of music, three different pieces of music from past games. So the first one is, the Game Over music from the original original Zelda is played by Evan, the piano player. The second one is the Underworld music, which is the dungeon music, also from the original Legend of Zelda, that's played by Joppas, who's the bassist. And the cave theme from Link to the Past is played by Tiho, the drummer. Also, the band has a single that they're going to be playing at the carnival. That's a reference to Link's Awakening. The single is known as the Ballad of the Windfish, because in Link's Awakening, the whole game centers around the Windfish and awakening him. And also, another reference, the name The Indigo Goes is most likely a mashup of real-life bands, The Go-Goes and The Indigo Girls. The more you know. Alright, so we've talked about the guys, let's move on to the ladies. Same thing, best female heroes. Number five is Miss Pac-Man. 
Her first appearance was in the game as Pac-Man. It was in the arcade, and it was in 1982. So Miss Pac-Man, she was a girl gamer before that was even cool. She took the lovable arcade game Pac-Man and made it even better. See, back then, a bow on a character's head was pretty much the only way to distinguish a character from being male or female, and Miss Pac-Man took that and took the quarters of people everywhere. She was even a Miz. She wasn't a Mrs. She was a Miz. In fact, Miss Pac-Man's game was the most successful American-made arcade game, actually. There were 115,000 cabinets of that game sold, so she did better than Pac-Man, which is pretty crazy. Fun fact about her, some changes from the Mr. Pac-Man... Not everything, but a few of them include there's four different mazes instead of the same one from Pac-Man. Then these are in different colors. The ghosts actually have different movement patterns, and there's also some randomness thrown in to avoid being able to just uh, follow a pattern each time to win. And also, the orange ghost in Miss Pac-Man is named Sue, rather than being named Clyde in the original Pac-Man. Our fourth girl, or second girl, whatever, is Alex Vance, and her first appearance was in Half-Life 2, which was on the PC first, and that was in 2004. Alex is a cool girl. She can hack computers like a pro. She built a sweet robot dog that's actually not stupid. She helps you throughout the better part of Half-Life 2, and she holds her own. She isn't annoying, and being in the game with her does not feel like an escort mission like a lot of other games where you have to follow someone or protect them from being hit, things like that. She's not overly sexualized. In fact, she's not at all, which is really awesome because that gets really old because that's pretty much the stereotype nowadays. And she talks, unlike Mr. Freeman, who you play as, so she's the perfect compliment to him. Here's a fun fact about Alex Vance. We know most games, when you have to protect like a VIP, most games feature really fragile characters that are critical to the mission. In Half-Life 2, though, Alex has the ability to absorb a ton of damage. Her, and the reason is because her health generates so f regenerates so fast. She actually can die during combat, because there's some points in the game where the objective is protect Alex completely. If she does die, you do fail the mission and have to restart, you know, from the checkpoint or whatever. Interestingly, it would take five simultaneous sniper shots to kill her, which means she can take an incredible amount of damage. I mean, that's almost never going to happen to get hit by five snipers at the same time. Alex can also hold her own in the game, too. She can also actually defeat several enemies all at once without your help at all. But she is vulnerable to a ton of enemies cl clubbing her at close range, or if you get a bunch of soldiers with shotguns. So, she can hold her own, and she's, you know, built pretty well from a program perspective. Our third girl is Shell. I believe that's how you say her name. Her first appearance was in the game Portal, which was on the PS3, Xbox 360, and PC in 2007. See, Shell, she's the test subject that you control in the two Portal games. Now, the games are first-person, so you really don't see her at all unless you look into a portal, like if you shoot a portal on a wall, and then like right next to it and then look at it so you can see yourself. I don't even think that she is called by name at all in the games. In fact, the only time you can see the name Shell is when, if you look into the games like Code, there are some unused scripts where Gladys calls you Shell, but it's never actually used. See, Shell's not being... She is not content with just being a lab rat in this sadistic test facility with this weird computer. She decides to fight back. She definitely gains points for being smart, and she's being she's totally fit. I mean, think about how much she has to run through. She has to run through, like, 50 test chambers between the two games. Let's get the GLaDOS. Here's two quick fun facts about Portal. Portal 2 introduced gels, which were the one not in the first game. There was a balanced gel, a speed gel, and a few other ones. It actually initially featured a sticky gel, which, when if you fired it on any surface, it would let the player walk on it. 
but in early testing, it almost gave it gave almost every single person that tried it motion sickness, so they cut that. Also, the guy that wrote the music for the game, he implemented a music system that like progressed. So in certain areas of Portal 2, not the whole thing, but certain areas, the score and the music of the game is actually generated in real time based on what you're doing. So there's at least one piece of music in that game that only repeats itself every 76,911 years, 125 days, 7 hours, 56 minutes, and 30.3 seconds. Talk about your long video game scores. Makes the $60 you paid for it seem a lot less expensive, huh? Okay, number two is Zelda. Her first appearance as well was in The Legend of Zelda on the NES in 1986. Here's another one. Just like DK, she turned her act around. When we first met Zelda in the original game, she's portrayed as a damsel in distress who needs to be rescued and only has Link to hope on. In Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, she's asleep for half the game, or probably actually the entire game until you beat it. However, in Ocarina of Time, Zelda's right in the thick of the action. You don't, only, you don't only make friends with her, and she causes the main conflict of the game, letting Ganon into their sacred realm, but she takes on an alternate persona for so many years just to hide from Ganon. I mean, she dupes everyone, including the player, into thinking she's a guy until the very end. So she's not your fragile princess anymore, not at all. And a fun fact, this isn't really about Zelda, but about the game. Many of the characters' names in Ocarina of Time, the sages, are actually taken from names of towns in Zelda II, The Adventure of Link. Raru, Maido, Rudo, Seria, and Darunia are all names of characters in Ocarina of Time, almost all of them sages except for Maido, and they're also names of villages in The Adventure of Link. So that's pretty cool. And our number one girl is Samus Aran, and her first appearance was in the game Metroid on the NES, also in 1986. Samus is the baddest girl in the galaxy. She's so bad, even the instruction manual that came in the original Metroid game called her a he. You had to beat the game in an efficient manner to unmask Samus without her armor and find out she's a girl. I mean, what a twist that was, especially back in 1986, where there wasn't an internet to look it up on. Nintendo Power surely wasn't going to ruin that for you, at least not right away. It was actually not a gimmick, though. Samus has been in a lot of really good games, and she even seamlessly made the transition to first person. As much as Super Metroid was an amazing game, we got Metroid Prime, which was first person, and it was also really amazing, and so were the sequels. I like Alex in the same way. I like that she's not over-sexualized. She's silent. She doesn't need to say much, and it's she just does what she has to do. Except for the recent game, Metroid Other M, but let's forget about that. And fun fact about Samus, the Super Metroid Player's Guide actually describes Samus to us. It says she is a strong, muscular woman who is 6 foot 3 inches tall, and she weighs 198 pounds without her armor. So she's actually taller and heavier than me, and that's kind of embarrassing. So that's it for this week. That's all for part one of our series about the top male and women game characters. So check in next week for the dark side. We're going to do the exact same list except with antagonists. So until then, you can enjoy this music inspired by Metroid. It's called Just a Little More, the Prime Edit. And it's a remix of the Ice Valley music from the Fernandro Drifts area of the first Metroid Prime, which is one of my favorite uh, game music pieces from that game. It's by Dark Sword. So we'll, sh- we'll leave you with that. Have a great week.